Well, we're starting a new series today, and it's called The Rhythm of God. One of the things that I have felt for some time now is when we approach God's Word, sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes we don't understand what is the grand narrative in the story of the Bible. And one of the things that we see all throughout the scriptures, as you really begin to understand the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, you begin to see a rhythm. You begin to see a pattern or a framework in the scriptures. And so what we're going to do is we're going to study the whole Bible this next series. But not looking at literally every book in the Bible. We're actually going to look at Genesis 1 through 12. Because I am convinced if we understand the first chapters of Scripture, the very beginning of the Bible, we will begin to see a pattern and a rhythm that you will see over throughout all of the rest of Scripture. If we can understand Genesis 1 through 12, the very first chapters of the Bible, we will begin to see the pattern and the rhythm of God and how He will work all throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and then ultimately in our lives. Studying the Bible, 66 books, two primary languages, written over a span of 1,500 years, but ultimately one Story. We're going to look at this story and we're going to begin to see this rhythm, this rhythm of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration over and over and over again. This pattern or this rhythm of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Let me put that in layman's terms. God makes everything. We screwed it up. God comes and rescues us and saves the day and puts everything back together again. And that's the story that we're going to see in the first pages of Scripture. And understanding that this story will be repeated over and over and over again. And helping us understand what ultimately is this book all about. What is the story of the Bible? What is the story of God? And so for our launch this morning, we are going to look at Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go back to the beginning So we understand the story, the story of all stories, the story of creation. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation and plants yielding seed, the fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, and earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit 
and which is their seed, each according to his kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth. To rule by day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and morning, the fourth day. God, Lord, would you take a seemingly technical passage and help us see the gospel from the very beginning. Help us to see how you work and how you move, not only through the pages of scripture, but in our lives. And may we this morning see Jesus, for that is whom we have come to see, that is whom we need to see. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. If you're reading the Bible, it can often be very confusing. Sometimes reading the Bible, I compare it to watching a movie halfway through or starting to watch a movie halfway through. Or can you imagine starting a television series on season three? Or even the hilarity of picking up a book in the sixth or seventh chapter and trying to figure out what it all means. That's sometimes how we approach the Bible. And although we would never watch a movie at the halfway point or pick up a television series, at least not typically, on season three or four or start a book halfway through, many times we approach the Bible that way. And we wonder why we read throughout the scriptures and we sometimes don't have a clue of what it's saying. And I am convinced that without understanding the very first pages of Scripture, we will never truly understand what the rest of the Bible says. We won't understand who God is. We won't understand how He operates. We won't understand what His plan is for our life and for our world and for all of history if we don't understand and go back to the very beginning and understand what is the purpose. And in Genesis chapter 1 through 12, which we are going to survey over the next seven weeks, the first 12 chapters of the Bible, I am convinced that there is a framework that God establishes through his servant Moses that will give us a framework for understanding the whole of scripture and the whole of life. That if we can understand what's going on in these earliest pages of scripture, we will begin to see how God moves throughout the Bible and how God moves and operates in your life. Now first, let me get out of the way our understanding of Genesis chapter 1 as a church. We believe wholeheartedly and affirm that God created the heavens and the earth with no assistance, with no help, with no, no one assisting him. It was God and God alone. The, our world and our creation didn't evolve. It wasn't by random chance. It wasn't an accident that we're all sitting here today. We believe that from the beginning, God and God alone created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis chapter 1 gives us an incredible historical, notice I say historical, not poetic, not a song, but a historical narrative of what literally happened from the very beginning of time. Thank you. But I also believe 
that God has something also to tell us that is just as profound in understanding this historical narrative in Genesis chapter 1. And to understand how profound Genesis chapter 1 is, not only to understanding the science and biology and understanding how the world was formed, we have to understand how profound it is by understanding who it was written to. You see, God called Moses to be the prophet of the people of God, to be the prophet to the nation of Israel and to lead them. And when Genesis was written by Moses, we have to understand where were the people of God? They had escaped Egypt and they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. But all of those years of being in captivity, all of those years of being enslaved to the people in Egypt, they had lost their identity as the people of God. They had lost their unique relationship with God. And so what God calls Moses to is, before we enter the promised land, we've got to have a reunion of sorts. We've got to get to know each other once again. Because when you cross over that Jordan, you are going to be wowed and amazed. You are going to see foreign gods that you've never seen before. You are going to see uh, landscape and vegetation, and you are going to have everything your heart desires. And you will easily be tempted as a people to run after the idols and the gods of this world. So he calls Moses and said, we've got to get something straight here. We've got to go back to the beginning and understand the God that rescued you out of Egypt. You've got to understand who this God is because you are going to be so amazed and so wowed by the gods and the idols and the things that you see when you cross the Jordan River. We have to have a reunion of sorts and understand and reestablish this unique relationship. So although Genesis 1 is a historical narrative of how the world was created, it is also serving as a reunion between God and his people to reestablish who he is in their life. And he takes them back to the beginning, that if you want to understand who I am as a God, if you want to understand how I work and move, you have to understand the first pages of Scripture, or you'll never understand life. You'll never understand what it means to follow me as your God. And what we see here, specifically in Genesis chapter 1, is three rhythms in particular. Three rhythms, a framework that God establishes with his people in understanding how he works, how he moves throughout scripture and in their life. The first thing that we see here in Genesis chapter 1, specifically in verse 1 and 2, is that we see the very first words of scripture, we see a God that creates out of nothing. He creates out of nothing. We see this pattern from the very beginning, this rhythm of creating something out of nothing. And why is that important? Because many mythologies and many religions have creation accounts. But every world religion and every mythology and every philosophy that has a creation account always has creation out of something. Whether it's the the mythologies of the uh, primordial gods coming out of the primordial ooze and creating something together or the gods raising up from the earth and having a war and all the results of the war and the battle creates the heavens and the earth. What makes the Christian religion unique is that we have a God 
to create something out of nothing. And we see this rhythm from the very beginning. It says God creates. And that word create there in the Hebrew in verse 1 is only reserved for God. It literally means to create out of nothing. Not create out of something. Not take some elements over here and some elements over there. Put it all together and boom, you have the heavens and the earth. It literally means in the Hebrew, and it's only reserved for God, it means to create something out of nothing. And we see this rhythm. We see this pattern. He creates something out of nothing. Verse 2, it's form. It's without form. And it's void. And darkness was over the deep. So that the people of God would never doubt who this God is that they're reckoning with. That this is a God that takes something out of nothing. That brings order out of chaos. That brings life out of death. Something out of nothing, order out of chaos, light out of the darkness, life out of death. And why is this important? In the earliest pages of scripture, to understand that this is the God that creates something out of nothing. Because there's two groups of people here this morning. I want to call them the self-sufficient and the inefficient. We have the self-sufficient here this morning and the inefficient. The self-sufficient sit here this morning and go... This is all good. I mean, I'm I'm glad we're coming to a short Bible study this morning and we sang some songs. But really, I mean, I am so wrapped up into my work, into life, into family, into making a name for myself. I mean, I, you know, God kind of is the icing on the cake for me. Take him or leave him. He's he's important, but, you know, I'm pretty self-sufficient. I can kind of make a name for myself without God. For the self-sufficient this morning... Why do you need to hear Genesis 1? He creates something out of nothing. You see, without God, you are nothing but the, the without form and void and dark. You are the darkness. You are the formless void that God is referring to here in the earliest pages of Scripture. Without God, we have to understand. The self-sufficient have to understand. Without God, we are absolutely lost and nothing. We are in darkness. We are in chaos. We are without form. We are empty. We don't stand a chance. So that for the self-sufficient this morning, you need to be reminded that God takes something out of absolutely nothing. But for the inefficient, you sit here this morning and you go, Pastor Rob, I need to hear this. I, I, I am beyond be, trying to be self-sufficient. I am, I am on my last leg. I have given up all hope. Life just doesn't seem to make sense anymore. Nothing seems to be going right. And for the inefficient this morning, you need to hear that God does create something out of nothing. He takes your chaos and brings order to it. He takes your darkness and brings light to it. He takes your seeming, seeming death that you feel like you're experiencing right now, and he brings about life. Isn't that awesome? The first two verses of scripture, he speaks to the self-sufficient and he speaks to the inefficient. Those that say, I don't really need God. Oh, yes, you do. You're nothing without him. And to the inefficient that say, I'm desperate for a word of hope. And God creates something out of nothing. I want to introduce you to a couple by the name of Brian Kelly and Delta. Brian and Delta Kelly. I think we have a picture of them. But Brian and Delta Kelly, they started a, there they are, Brian and Delta Kelly. 
Brian and Delta met at Troy University in college doing campus ministry together. Brian's from Alabama, Delta's from Mississippi. With a name like Delta, you've got to be from Mississippi. Uh, But Brian and Delta grew up in a very affluent home by parents that were very driven, very successful. Later in life, Brian and Delta Kelly were called to start a ministry by the name of Common Ground. That couple right there, growing up in the South, growing up in affluent society, they currently live in a crack house with their three children. You see, what they do is they go into, they started a ministry by the name of Common Ground that moves into the worst neighborhoods in Montgomery, Alabama. They buy up abandoned crack houses and they refurbish them. They start after school programs. They minister to the children of that neighborhood. They rehab homes and they go from home to home to home, neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood, all throughout Montgomery. Brian and Delta Kelly have committed their life to this, them and their three children. And I ask you this morning, what causes a couple like that to walk away from the American dream? They know the rhythm of God. They know the story. They know that the church is called to go into the darkness to bring light, to bring order out of the chaos, to bring life out of death. You see, only once you understand the rhythm of God, God is a God that creates something out of nothing, do you understand why a couple like Brian and Kelly, or Brian Kelly and Delta Kelly, do what they do. They're moved by the rhythm of God. The rhythm that we see here, creation out of nothing. The second rhythm that we see here in Genesis chapter 1 is that we see that God creates how. How does he bring something out of nothing? How does he bring life out of death? He does it by his what? His spoken word. All throughout Genesis chapter 1, what does it say? God said, let there be light. It's not like God said, let there be light, and somebody went over and, and turned on the switch. He speaks, and it happens. But isn't that the way God's word works? You see, if we really believe that the the 66 books contained in the word of God are the very word of God, nothing less than the very word of God, the inspired word of God, then what this is telling us is that the words of God have the power, have the power and the effectiveness to bring creation and to bring life to the world. See, God brings something out of nothing through his spoken word. It has the power to bring life. It's interesting will be introduced to the word of God later in the scriptures. In John chapter 1, what does it say? In John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, it says, in the beginning, sound familiar? John chapter 1 in the New Testament, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him, was not anything that was made. You see, the word of God that we see in Genesis chapter one will later be manifested to us through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the word that was present in Genesis chapter one. It's Jesus himself that brings life out of death, that brings light out of darkness, that brings something out of 
nothing. It is the word of God. And so when we read the word of God, the reason it brings life, the reason it has the ability and the effectiveness to bring about creation is because it is Jesus, the son of God, working on behalf of his father. And so when I hear people say, you know what, I'm just not growing right now. And maybe it's a new program, maybe it's a new church i got to find, maybe it's a, 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 I've got to change my friends, whatever. And all of those things might be good and relevant. At the end of the day, I'm always going to ask that person, are you just immersed in the Word of God? Are you feasting on the Scriptures? Are you reading the Word, not as a historical document, but are you reading the Word for what it is, the very means of life? Because it is Jesus Christ that is popping out off the pages of Scripture. It has the ability to bring creation to the world in Genesis chapter 1. And it has the ability to bring life to your weary soul this morning. The very Word of God. We see the pattern. God speaks and there's life. God speaks and there's life. God speaks and there's life. And for you this morning, God speaks. And I pray that it brings life to your weary soul. So not only do we see the rhythm of God creating something out of nothing, not only do we see the rhythm of God speaking and bringing life and creation, what's the last thing that we see? All throughout Genesis chapter one, the verses that we read, and then if you kept on going, as we will do next week, God ends every day, how? By looking at his creation and saying what? It is good. He looks at his creation and he says, it is good. He looks at his creation and he smiles and it makes him glad and it makes him happy. He is glad with his creation. And for you this morning, whether you realize it or not, every single person in this room is desperate for God to look down on you and say, it is good. Whether you realize it or not, you are longing for God. You might find it in a spouse, you might find it in your children, you might find it in your colleagues, you might find it in your friends, but you are ultimately desperate for something that only God can provide. For God to look down on you this morning and say, you're good, you are good. For God to look down on you this morning, to look at you, his creation, and to smile. And the problem is we'll later read in Scripture and we'll later read in the series that we blow it. And actually in the New Testament, we'll read in Romans that none are good and all fall short of the glory of God. See, the problem is that we will live our lives longing for the pleasure of God, longing for God to look down on us and say that we are good. But the problem that we face, that every single person in this room faces, is that by nature, because of sin and because of death and evil, that not one of us is good by nature. So how do we get back into the rhythm of God? You see, this is where Jesus comes in. You see, what Jesus does, and this is the message of the gospel and the good news, that if we go back to John chapter 1, John chapter 1 says that word, the word of God that was present with God in the beginning, that word, Jesus Christ, became flesh. 
And when you fast forward the story of Jesus' life, not only did he become flesh, he takes on our sin. He takes on our lack of or our inability to be good. And he even takes on our death. You see, what happens to Jesus is that Jesus becomes uncreated so that we can become recreated. Jesus becomes uncreated so that we might become recreated. Jesus abandons his home in heaven. He abandons his uh, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he takes on the form of flesh, even willing to go to the cross. The creator was unmade, uncreated, so that we might be remade and recreated. And what happens at the end of the crucifixion story? It says in the sixth to ninth hour, what happens? Darkness falls over the earth. The earth becomes dark, just like it did here in Genesis chapter one. But in Genesis chapter one, the spirit of God was hovering over the darkness. At the cross in the sixth to ninth hour, when darkness fell over the earth, the spirit was nowhere to be found. In fact, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus, in his moment of darkness, in his moment of becoming uncreated, is even abandoned by the spirit of the living God. And he takes on the darkness so that we might enter into the light. You see, only through Christ, for those that know Jesus this morning, can you have any hope of God looking down on you this morning and say, you are good. Because Jesus took on the darkness so that you might enter into the light. You see, this the first pages of scripture are ultimately the gospel. We were in darkness. We were empty and had nothing in our lives. We were void. Longing in life for something to fill that void, something to satisfy our souls. And then God comes out the very third verse of scripture and he says, "Let there be light." That's the gospel. For those that are in darkness this morning, you can have the light of Christ. For those that are empty this morning, you can be filled by the promise of the Savior. Empty and chaotic until that void is filled. This can be your song. This can be your story. In Isaiah 53, verse four, what does it say? Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. That's the gospel. And that's what Jesus did to you, for you, so that God could look down this morning and smile for those that are found in Jesus Christ. Let me end with this. It was a story by, the, by a missionary by the name of Father Damien back in the 1850s. And to understand a little bit about the ministry of Father Damien, we have to understand the ministry that he committed himself to. There's a small island in Hawaii called the Island of Malaki. And the Island of Malaki in the 1850s was nothing but a leper colony. 
What they would do, they would literally ship hundreds and hundreds of lepers to the island of Malachi, and they wouldn't even deliver them to the island. They would carry them over in cages so they would not catch the leprosy. And they would literally open up the cage, and they would dump them into the sea, and some would drown, and some would have to swim for themselves to get to the island of Malachi. Well, word got back to the States that there were about 10 or 12 Christians in this leper colony. And they sent this missionary by the name of Father Damien over. And what they told him, his, his, his superior said, this is what we're going to do. We are going to send a prefab chapel over. And we want you to deliver it. We want you to build it and then get out of there. We don't want you to talk to the lepers. We don't want you to mingle with the lepers. We don't want you to touch the lepers. Build the chapel and get out of there. Well, after he built the chapel, he couldn't resist, but just to hold one worship service. And instead of 10 to 12 Christians coming to that worship service in that chapel, about 200 showed up, desperate for a good word. 200 lepers came and Father Damien held them and he preached to them, he heard their confession, served them communion and loved on them. Father Damien didn't spend just one month there, he spent 16 years ministering on the island of Molokai. He built schools, he even built caskets for the dead so they would be able to be buried in dignity. After 16 years, Father Damien, riddled and taken on leprosy himself, taken on leprosy as he was caring and trying to bring life to this leper colony, died. 16 years, 16 years of taking on their grief, 16 years of taking on their sorrow, so that they might have some sort of life. Well, if you go to the U.S. Capitol today, you'll find an area called Statuary Hall. And in Statuary Hall, there are statues for every state in the Union. And you've got to kind of be a big deal to be in Statuary Hall. I mean, Dwight Eisenhower's there from the state of Kansas. There's a statue of George Washington there from the state of Virginia. Abe Lincoln has a statue there. Even Thomas Edison has a statue in the U.S. Capitol. But when you get to Hawaii, there's a man you've never heard of. Statue of Father Damien. A monument to 16 years of ministry, of taking on grief, of taking on sorrow, so that others might live. You see, Genesis 1, and ultimately the story of Scripture, is about a God that enters into the darkness so that we might have life, enters into the death so that we might live enters into the chaos so that we might be able to think clearly and straight about life in this world. It's the rhythm of God. Where does a man discover such love from the person and work of Jesus Christ written on the first pages of Scripture? The rhythm of God.
the rhythm of the good news of Jesus Christ.